You're now listening to the Laravel Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 6. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Stauffer, and I got Taylor with me. Taylor, you want to say hi? Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. And uh, for those who don't know, Laracon AU just uh, kicked off their first conference in a couple of years, and we've been hearing really great reports from everybody about that. Um, neither Taylor and I were able to attend, but I know that a lot of the Laravel team was there, and so they had some great conversations there. And I'm assuming we're going to get videos from that soon, although I should have checked in with Michael first. But one of the videos that we got there was the announcement about Laravel Pulse, which we talked about in the last episode. And I had said, hey, you know, you might all actually have Laravel Pulse announced, you know, right when we drop it. And I think it dropped a day before the announcement. So a lot of people have been asking for us to talk about in the podcast. So could you just saying, assuming that somebody's never heard of Laravel Pulse before, it may be even assuming they didn't hear the episode last week. Can you talk to us now that it's live? What is Laravel Pulse and what context are we going to use it? Tell us a little bit about the story of its creation and everything. Yeah. Laravel Pulse is a dashboard. Well, first, it's an open source composer package you install into your Laravel project. And what it gives you is a dashboard, which provides a high level overview of sort of performance health indicators in your application. So that includes things like how much CPU your servers are using, how much memory they're using, how much disk space they have remaining. It includes cards about various things in the application. So there's a queue card that shows you kind of how many jobs are queuing, processing, how many have failed. And it's got this nice little graph. It's got a cache card that shows you like how many cache hits you're getting, how many cache misses you're getting. And one of the other cool cards actually is a application usage card, Mm -hmm. which shows you like which users in your application are making the most requests or which ones are queuing the most jobs. And that's actually what spurred the idea for building Laravel Pulse was on Laravel Forge, we had a few different situations where our queues were getting overloaded and we felt like it was taking us too long to determine who was overloading the queue. Like it was taking us, you know, maybe 10 minutes and we felt like we should be able to know this almost instantly by looking at some Hmm. dashboard, you know? And so that's when I wrote up a pitch for this whole idea of building a tool to give us a high level overview of what's going on in the application. So we can just know really quickly it includes other things like what what routes are the slowest in your application? What are your slowest database queries? What exceptions are sort of happening, are, are sort of trending over the last hour, 24 hours, six hours, seven days, whatever. So yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. I You can kind of almost think about it like the production companion to Laravel Telescope in a way. Telescope is sort of something you use during local development and it shows you every single request that comes into your application and what data it had, what the request headers were, what queries were run during that request, just tons of data. And it's mainly intended for sort of local debugging and inspection of what's going on in the application. This is more of a production-focused, high-level overview big picture dashboard of the health of your Laravel application. It's backed by a database, a few database tables, actually, and sort of aggregates what happens during a request by listening to different Laravel events and then stores information about their requests in the database. And what's cool is as your application gets bigger, and if that becomes sort of a bottleneck in your application, you can actually adjust the sample rate of like oh, what cool. percentage of events are we actually gathering. So you might set your sample rate to just 10%. So you're actually only storing 10% 
of the real events that are happening in the system. Yeah. But the Pulse dashboard will sort of extrapolate that out to show you what it thinks the real numbers might be based on your sample rate. So that's pretty cool too. But anyway, so that's kind of a dump of what it is, and we can kind of yeah. dig into specific dig into things questions. that sound interesting. Yeah, so one of the first things that I was interesting to me was whether it was going to be, you know, a one dashboard for all your apps, but it is a single dashboard that is, you know, going to be served for the particular app you're working on. They also, there's some notes about custom components, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about custom right. components before we dig into any of the big pieces. Or custom cards, I guess. Yeah, sure. If you're listening to this now, if you go out to pulse.laravel.com, you'll see in sort of the hero section of the website, you'll see what we're talking about when we kind of mention these cards and how each component of Pulse is its own kind of isolated card on the dashboard. And one of the features we built into Pulse was the ability to add your own cards. Um, something maybe specific to your application or, or maybe not. Like I saw um, Aaron Francis who works at Planet Scale, um, a database um, as a service type company. He had started working on a card for your database reads or something like that on their MySQL planet scale databases. So it may not be specific to your application, but basically you can add your own cards to add additional info to the dashboard. And you do that by writing a live wire component. And the reason we went with live wire instead of building pulse and something like view or react is it lets people build custom components without um, needing to compile assets or have like a build step Wondered. or compile yeah. a lot of JavaScript um, into their components, which is doable. Like we do that on Laravel Nova, but it's definitely been a pain point for us. Um, yeah. It would just be much easier. People could just ship a blade component in a composer package and we just drop it on the dashboard and it all works because it's all live wire. Um, yeah. So it just makes the custom development story much, much easier. And so that's kind of why we went down that road. So if I were to build one of those custom cards, is am I hooking into the sampling system or is the custom card just pulling from my own database table that I manage myself? I'm not actually sure on that. I think you okay. could do whatever you wanted to do. Like you could tap into the sampling or you could ignore that and okay. you know, cool. insert whatever data you wanted. It's sort of just a an, an empty spot in the dashboard and a back end and you can kind of do whatever you want. Whatever you, want. And you have yeah. pretty much Love total it. flexibility. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I thought was really cool was that because when I first read it, I was like thinking, in what context would I open this up? Because some of these tools are meant to be used only when something's wrong. And some of them are meant to be used at any mm -hmm. time. And I'm kind of getting the sense that you get both of those for this. Like, because I, if I go and I'm like, you know what, my site feels a little bit slow. I'm just going to go take a look. I can get information out of this or who are my active users? What are my slow queries? You know, what are my most common exceptions? That's valuable for me to just check like literally every Monday, just open up Pulse and be like, what's going on? But also, if something goes wrong, it's the sort of tool where I think oftentimes if we have like a general knowledge of things, something goes wrong, that doesn't mean we know specifically what happened in the last five minutes that we need to diagnose. And it looks like we're also getting some of that. You can say, whoa, you know, you can watch the CPU ramp ramp or usage ramp up, or you can see over the last hour, this particular exception is kicked up a whole bunch of times. And obviously, a lot of us mm -hmm. use tools like Sentry and Bugsnag. So, you know, we'll use it in tandem with that. But I can definitely imagine it being useful both as like an, both as an ongoing tool and as like a crisis management tool, if that makes sense. When yeah. you were think building it, which was the first one? You mentioned you wanted to be able to like kind of see something was going on. Was it more like crisis, like, oh, my God? Or was it more like, eh, you know, we're just trying to figure out the health of things? When we first came up with the idea, it was definitely more crisis um, okay. and like needing to get a quick to learn really yeah. quickly what's going wrong. 
But I also definitely, as it evolved and we added all these other cards, it definitely took other forms as well. Like I could see it being really useful after a deployment to come out and mm-hmm. see, do I have any new slow queries trending over the last hour that weren't there on like the six yeah. hour view or, you know, previously. And I think your point about like Sentry or, or Flare or Bugsnag, or Bugsnag yeah. whatever mm-hmm. other exception trackers is a good one too, because this was something I saw on Twitter that I think people were a little confused about. I view Pulse as sort of like your family doctor, like your general practitioner. You know what I mean? Right. You go yeah. there and they point you in the right direction for what might be going wrong, but mm-hmm. you're probably, you may still need like a specialist, you know, to dig yeah. deeper into the issue. 100%. Um, so like Pulse can show you a new exception that's trending, but you don't get the level of detail and information as you would from like a dedicated tool to exception tracking. Um, So so for that, I would like, I come out to Pulse, I say, hmm, this is kind of a new exception that's been trending over the last hour. I go into Sentry or Bugsnag and I like dig into the real, the stat traces, the nitty gritty details, the breadcrumbs, whatever I have in there. Yeah. And it may be the same with your cues as well. Like you see something looks a little odd in Pulse. Maybe you go over into Horizon to start like digging deeper or Amazon SQS or whatever you're using. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. That makes a ton of sense. And yeah, we have found that um, not everybody has the deep dive tools. We do try to make sure everyone's at least got an exception tracker. But like the number of people, like we talked about last time, who have all their logs sending somewhere, the number of people who have any kind of APM that's looking at their memory and whatever, like it, the idea that there is now a free does not require you to set up a really complicated new architecture, Laravel specific and Laravel backed tool that gives you the basic generals. And then you can now add on a deeper dive for any particular piece. To me, that's going to up the stability and like awareness of servers across the Laravel ecosystem by a lot. Because when I've talked to people about like, hey, how do you know what's going on? They're like, I don't know. Like a Titan, we have hand rolled a tool that SSHs into our servers. It's got a script running on each of our servers. It's monitoring their, you know, like the memory and the RAM and the, the queues. And it was hand rolled painfully over years because we tried so many of our services. We were never quite happy with them. And it's working, um, but it's also very like we don't have the time to build beautiful dashboards on it. And so it's just really just kind of like it it warns us when something's wrong. Right. And I'm glad we have that. But now I'm like, well, crap, I can almost entirely retire that tool by just installing Pulse on every single one of our apps. So to me, I'm really excited about this as like a baseline. You just put it on everything. Like, is is there any reason why we wouldn't? Can you think of any context where you're like, well, this app doesn't make sense for Pulse? No, I mean, I think it makes sense for any Laravel application that you have in production. You might as well, like, throw it on there, you know. Right. And if there's certain cards that don't make sense for your application, like, if you're not using queues, you can just disable that card in Pulse's okay. configuration um, nice. file. That's awesome. Same with, like, cache or whatever. Or, like, if you're using Vapor, you would turn off the server stats because you are you don't have any yeah. servers. You're serverless, you know, so those don't make sense. But the rest of Pulse would continue working normally. And your comment about, like, you know... What are people using for existing monitoring tools? I think that's been another reason that led us down this road is all of the existing like application health slash monitoring tools. One are general. They're not really specific to like Laravel. Right. And two, they are so freaking complicated to yes. set up and just overwhelming. Um, and it feels like they're, it feels like they're specifically built for people that run like a thousand servers and some yes. Kubernetes cluster yep. or something. And the, the dashboards are overwhelming and just information overload. And yeah, I think that's another um, sort of inspiration behind pulse is like, can we build a, a 
dashboard for kind of the common person, the common yes, programmer, love it. which is really like the Laravel, the Laravel, yeah. uh, you know, spirit in a way. Um, a lot of our tools are built for, you know, the average developer that's building average applications in the average company. They're not, they're maybe not fine tuned if you're building YouTube or Facebook, but for right. most applications, they're really, they're really um, good and sufficient. Yeah. And our experience with our clients, if you are building YouTube or Facebook, you already have the data dog or the new relic, whatever set up and you have yeah. the more complicated. So it's not as if you can't use those tools for Laravel, but the thing is the folks who weren't in those spaces have not always known what to do because the paid tools are so much managing the team of a hundred with, you know, billions of requests a day or whatever. So it's really great, great to have something that's like every app should start with this. And then if you scale mm-hmm. up to need something more great, you know, good for you to be in a space where that makes sense for you. But the rest of us are now going to have something to get started with. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Um. So Pulse is a, is it intended to be running, um, it's, so it's a composer package, so it's going to be installed in the app and it's going to be running. Is it just as a subfolder or do you intend it to be subdomain or is there like what's it? How's your ideal way you think it's going to actually be connected? Um, you can do either of those things, but I mean, I think the traditional or the easiest way and probably the most common way people will use it is just like a path, kind of like Horizon. So you go to your app slash pulse. Yeah. And that path is configurable in the config file, just like Horizon or Telescope or whatever. Um, you could also run it like on a subdomain if you wanted to, or, or whatever you want to do. Yeah. And then you just, you know, you, the, you configure the authorization very similarly to horizon or telescope where basically you have a callback and a service provider and you just return true or false to say, if this authenticated user is allowed to see the pulse dashboard, usually Got you're going to check if they're email address is in some array of staff email addresses or check some database column or whatever. And then you're kind of off to the races. Okay. I'm trying to think of any other questions. So there, those are all the questions that we were asked on Twitter about it. Yeah. I mean, the package should be out this week. So by the time people hear this, they should be able to install nice. it and all the documentation right. will be out and people can start playing with it. So I love it. We're excited I'm to get it out there because it. we've been working on it for a few months and, um, yeah, so it's been a, it's been um, kind of a long time coming for us. And Tim and Jess, uh, Jess Archer and, and Tim McDonald here at Laravel have been the main ones building this package, um, basically exclusively. Um, I wrote yeah. up a couple of paragraphs when we had the initial idea. I was like, hey, I think this could be a cool idea. Why don't y'all riff on it? I think I wrote a few lines of code kind of showing how I thought it could work, listening to various events and then storing them in the database. And they just went from there over the last few <laughs> months and kind of we ended up with this really what nice insane. looking dashboard yeah. that's great man that's cool well i think that's it for pulse unless there's anything else you want to cover no i think that's good give it a shot yeah Install try it. it out i'm i'm going to yeah but we had a couple questions on twitter when i asked for people what we were talking about that are relevant to this and one of the things that people were asking about is the the world of first party packages for laravel and for those who don't know a first-party package is a package that is not included in Laravel, like, out of the box. So if you hit Laravel new, it's not going to be there. Um, I guess you could technically call things that are a separate, you know, code base but included in. But let's just say that. But, like, the things that you can include. So we're talking Telescope and Horizon and Cashier and Passport and stuff like that. So the tools that are kind of labeled differently, you may even theoretically choose to use them on a non-Laravel app. The majority of them are made specifically for Laravel. And so we had a couple questions there. And the first question was, how do you choose which packages you're going to build as a first-party package? And, and I want to kind of extend that question to be, 
how do you choose what goes in the core versus what goes in the package? And then, of course, also, how do you decide something like that's a cool idea, but it's not for us to build versus what things? Because, you know, you've often talked about as an open source maintainer, anything that you build or anything you include, you're now responsible for maintaining that forever. So we know there's a cost to you bring something that in. So, yeah, how do you pick what goes in the core versus what goes external? And then also, how do you pick what, you know, what what makes something weighty enough to make it worth you maintaining and creating a named thing and a brand and all that kind of stuff for it? Almost every first party package we've built has been based on some real need we had Mm -hmm. in building Forge or Envoy or Nova or Vapor or whatever. So most of them are that way, but not all of them. So some of the the rest of them are sort of born out of my personal interests and things I wanted to explore. So like one that comes to mind there is Laravel Octane, which we didn't really have a need for necessarily here at Laravel, but I was just interested in seeing what kind of performance we could get out of Laravel using something like Roadrunner or Swool and building a really well-maintained first-party solution for people that want to run Laravel that way. Mm-hmm. And it's still not something we've actually used in production here at Laravel just because we just don't have the the need um, for that level of performance or speed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, most of them are built out of needs we have, like Pennant, our um, relatively new feature flag package, which just really extracted out of feature flag code we had written for Laravel Forge or that Tim really had written for Laravel Forge. And we extracted that out into a package. Tim felt like, hey, this is kind of a cool thing. We could build a package out of this. And boom, you know, there you go. What else do, what other first party packages do we have? Like Dusk, like we use Dusk extensively at Laravel for testing Laravel Nova primarily. Uh, We of course use Cashier for all of our billing stuff. So most of it is born out of real needs that we have. As far as deciding like what is a package versus what is just baked right into Laravel, it's more just like the size, I guess, like packages Mm -hmm. like passport and octane are just big and yeah it would feel like the framework was just a pretty huge thing <laughs> if we baked all of that in to laravel other things it's more like they feel very kind of peripheral to building an application i guess and it's a little bit hard to explain but something like laravel scout like being able to search your eloquent models with full text search i think is probably common and important but for some reason feels sort of peripheral to like the core needs of building a web application you know like it's something on top it's like an extra thing or icing on the cake or something and it's it's a bit hard to articulate but it's just more of a feeling i guess or an intuition of what is actually core to building a web application and what is sort of other side concerns yeah that makes sense and i mean we've talked a little bit about the um the authentication packages in the past and you know auth make used to be a part of the core and i know that it's something we do in a lot of apps but i think that one of the reasons why you started pulling those things out to other packages is because a lot of people use laravel to build apis and it's sort of like oh you know what a front end isn't actually necessarily inherent to every single app and that's one of the reasons why you built lumen for a while there and that that does take me into one of my next questions, which is, are there any first-party packages that you regret releasing or that you sort of see as sort of like sunset at this point? Um, there's not really any I totally regret releasing. I definitely think there are some that are more um, end of life, you might say. Yeah. So like, um, well, even something like Laravel Mix, you know, our Webpack right. um, asset compilation tool. 
lot of people still use that. Actually, we still use it yeah. <laughs> on Laravel Nova. Um, yeah. But it's probably a little bit more in its sunset phase because we've moved on to our V plugin. Yeah. Or even something like Laravel Homestead, which was extremely popular, probably one of the most popular Laravel packages we've ever built. And it let you, of course, run virtual machines on virtual box yeah. and it was sort of this local development thing and really started to sunset, I guess, with sort of the emergence of Docker and its extreme popularity for yeah. for local web development. And then also with Valet and Herd. And I guess just like the package sunsetted as virtual box itself became out of fashion in web yeah. development, you know. Yep. 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah, but there's none that like I regret or that I think were a bad idea. I think they all kind of made sense at the time, but some of them have just kind of sort of aged out as web development has changed. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, when you said mix, I was like, well, of course, right? Like just sometimes there are technologies that shift and we all know that front end shifts faster right. than anything else. So to name that a front end based tool has shifted, you know, it makes it makes sense. Yeah, nothing shifts faster than front end. <laughs> yes. And there was some topics that I had put when you we were originally restarting the season. And I was like, oh, we might want to talk about this. And I was just looking and I was like, bun? What? I remember bun was exciting for a week there. And now I don't even think about it. So I'm glad we didn't, <laughs> didn't get to that one. It's crazy. It's crazy how fast, like, the hot thing changes, especially in the yes. front end world. Um, yes. the, the back end world feels very stable, I would say. Yeah. Um, in terms of tech, in terms of what people are using or building, but the front end world is just like every week there's sort of a new thing. It feels like, yeah. Um, all right. So the next set of questions we have are about kind of like Laravel, future of Laravel, and how you kind of define what the future of Laravel is looking like. And so I get asked this often um, when I come into companies who are still evaluating Laravel. Usually there is a CTO or a high level lead who says we should use Laravel and then they need it to be approved by the board or by whatever else. And usually the board has got at least one bro on it. Sorry, I shouldn't say the board has at least one person on it. Um, who has got, you know, the friends who are like, JavaScript's the way to go, or it must be Rust or must be whatever. And so I kind of get in these calls and they're like, what is the value of Laravel, which I'm able to do, but they always want to know about the future of Laravel. Like where is Laravel headed and kind of what are the next steps there? And I feel like I ask you this at least like once a year on a podcast here or there. So it's, I guess it came up on Twitter yesterday. So it's time for the question again. The question is, where is Laravel heading? And also, how do you make sure that Laravel is going to continue to take advantage of like ideas that come elsewhere? You know, this person had asked the question, they said, I know that you're originally inspired by things in Rails and other places. So kind of like when, we, when it comes to the future of Laravel, like, do you see anything particularly right now? And is there anything you could share about kind of what is your process of continuing to make sure you see good ideas as they come up look like for you? Yeah, so now that we have Laravel Pulse out, my main focus is shifting to Laravel 11, um, which will come out at the beginning of next year, most likely. Mm -hmm. And some of our focus there is really simplifying the framework quite a bit. And so excited. Um, not making assumptions about what people know, because as web development has changed and evolved over the years, there's been so many new people coming into web development. And they're primarily coming into it into JavaScript. And they're very overwhelmed by um, things like Docker, by tons of folders that they don't understand or tons of yeah. files with service provider and kernel in the name. And it's very, yes. as, as you take a look at Laravel with fresh eyes, 
you can see how it would look pretty confusing or overwhelming to someone that hasn't been in the backend development world for years or even in the Laravel world for years. So with Laravel 11, which I showed a little bit, a preview of the direction we are going, we're trying to really go through every file and folder and simplify everything as much as we can. So, and, you know, we're not going to have five service providers in the default Laravel application. We're not going to have so many configuration files. We're not going to have just so many things in the skeleton that are sort of overwhelming and try to make it as simple as we can. And that also, you know, is going into the documentation as well. Like I know we're both friends with Sam Selikoff and he actually messaged me the other day on Telegram. He's like, hey, so I went to, I was kind of curious about starting a new Laravel app and I went to the installation page and like his eyes sort of scanned the table of contents and he saw getting started with Mac OS and just clicked it but he didn't realize that was actually how to get started with Laravel sale and Docker on Mac yeah. OS. And then mm-hmm. he started seeing Docker things and just noped out of the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. He didn't see that the, before that there's actually a link that says your first Laravel project, which uses PHP artisan serve and is sort of like the most minimal yeah. way to get started with Laravel. So things like that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to see the framework through people, um, like Sam's eyes that are new to Laravel. So I actually went out, reconfigured the whole installation page based that. off that, that message. That. Um, so simplicity is really the focus and kind of the key word of what we're trying to chase with Laravel 11. And then the other part of the question about how do we, you know, are there ideas um, that we're taking from newer players in the web development space? Yeah, and I think that an example of that is something like Laravel Vault, which lets you write single file live wire components. And that's very much inspired by something like React server components or Next.js server yeah. actions, things like yeah. that, where you can have a function at the top of the file and basically assign it to a button click, which is exactly what you can do with Laravel Livewire and Laravel Vault. And then when you pair yeah. it with Laravel Folio, it, it really starts to feel like sort of a more JavaScript JavaScript-y front-end framework with page-based routing and stuff like that. Yeah. So those both came out this year. So we were definitely taking inspiration from what those ecosystems are doing because I think they also have a lot of great new ideas that are sort of fresh um, and a different spin on how web development can be done that I think is yeah. interesting and is very different from sort of the traditional uh, lineage of ideas from Rails, Laravel, and sort of that it's almost like it's almost like two, um, you know, it's two totally different, uh, what like evolutionary chains, you know, like yes, two different, yeah. like two different backgrounds, and yeah. they have very different, um, div, you know, histories and ideas and emphasis, and so yeah, we're trying to learn um, from both and kind of bridge them together in a way that makes sense. I love that, um, and it's fun for me because there's the traditional ways of kind of keeping up to date with the other ones. Like for example, Livewire was originally based on something from Phoenix. Um, you know, and so it isn't now, but like that idea came from thinking there also, if anybody doesn't know Tony Macias at Titan, he lives in the rails world more than any non rails programmer I've ever met. And so every single time rails does something cool, he's like, I built a package for this hot wire thing or whatever, like everything rails has ever done. If you're interested, it exists in Laravel. Tony Macias has written about it, made a package for it, whatever. Um, but I think that those, and those are both great. They're wonderful, but I think those are also 
the more traditional ways of like keeping up with the other frameworks that we think about. And I'm really glad that you named what you just did there, because I think keeping up with the other frameworks that are seen as being in the same space, which is a server rendered application framework like a Rails or like a .NET MVC or something like that, is missing about the fact that a lot of the new thinking, a lot of the new programmers, a lot of that that is happening is happening in the front end world. Um, and so we want to learn from both. And I would have never said it would be possible to say, and if anybody's never worked with Next.js, um, whether or not you're a React programmer, whether or not you want to work with SPAs, Next is a delight to work with. Like it is so freaking fun. It's so fast. It is so simple. And I would have never expected that Next could inform directions of a php a full stack php framework and so when i even when i first saw saw like what you're doing with folio and volt i was like that's cool when would i use it and then i started hearing you talking about how it's sort of like it's a way to build apps differently still in the level world with this different mindset that's you know if the question is how do you make sure you take advantage of good ideas from other frameworks that's a level of taking a good idea from another framework i wouldn't have thought was possible so i think it's cool that like you know not to hype you up too much but like you stay not just bringing in cool ideas, but even changing our understanding of what bringing in cool ideas could look like, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah. sort of merging, you know, and Livewire is emblematic of this and those are as well of like merging what, you know, can be done in traditionally disparate spaces, front end and back end and saying, look, we kind of can do a little bit of all of it all in this one thing because we kind of have front end and back end in the same tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Laravel has to sort of embrace new ideas or it just will become irrelevant. Like Laravel mm-hmm. has to embrace React and Vue. And we do that yeah. primarily through inertia, um, which I think is still sort of an underappreciated thing. I couldn't um, agree more. I, yeah. think it's, I think it's so awesome. Um, I really think it's, you know, the best way to pair something like React or Vue with Laravel. And I think we'll continue to lean into that. And I would like to honestly promote it even more um with laravel 11 and then when you have the alternative of volt and livewire and folio it's just like you have so many that's that's the awesome thing about laravel is i think you have two really great paths to go down depending on if you want to use php all the way through or if you really like react you have two really awesome options yeah as we um talk to our clients i really kind of provide them with a few paths forward depending on their needs and then also depending on the team that they have internally and the paths forward are uh, a laravel app with sprinklings of something like alpine um, a laravel app with sprinklings or significantly increased amount of live wire or laravel and inertia with either Vue or react depending on your team it's really those three spaces i don't see any reason for anybody to do anything else um, yes i know there are companies that do full spas with um, laravel backends i would say 90 seven percent of the companies doing that should be using inertia um there are reasons to use Vue and react over blade totally there are very few reasons to do a full spa over inertia and if if you're already there that's fine it's not like you you should feel bad for being there but if you're starting from scratch a lot of the values that you would want to get out of an spa can be had with a much simpler more integrated code base with inertia and if you even look at the react framework space like next.js like even there pushing away from spas yes um you know like i saw uh guillermo you know the founder of Vercel tweet something like he had some tweet like the spa mind cannot understand this or something yes. it was like a screenshot uh-huh. of you know some of the new the server action stuff and uh yes you know i think you know i think everyone is sort of in agreement that the spa development story is cumbersome and you should yes, avoid it work. if you can at, yeah. all, at all cost oh i was gonna say something else about um 
this whole story. Anyway, maybe it'll come back to me. But yeah, it seems like, yeah, we're not the only ones, I think, feeling that pain that are reluctant or feel the pain about developing SPAs. I think one of the reasons in the past of choosing something like Reactor View is there's really nice um, UI component libraries for those mm-hmm. things. So there's things like the Shad CDN thing or like Tailwind's new Catalyst application yeah. component thing they're coming out with. And what I'm really excited about is Caleb Porzio, the creator of Livewire, just announced that he's building a Livewire UI yes. component library. So that will kind of close the gap a little bit more between those two because I think a lot of people would love to use Livewire, but they felt like, man, I'm kind of missing out on these kind of component libraries that give me a really great head start on things like, you know, modals, dialogues, alerts, all sorts of different UI components that a lot of applications need, dropdowns, radios, all that stuff. Yep. And having that Livewire UI kit that's basically an equivalent to those Reactor View component kits, I think will be a really big deal. I agree. And he's actually working together with Keith Damiani, who's the director of engineering at Titan on that. So I'm like, you got Titan all up in this piece. I'm obviously going to use <laughs> use the crap out of it. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. And I agree. Like I have built a lot of things custom in Livewire and these little components. Um, but the funny thing about Livewire is because I sprinkle Livewire, I'm not actually as much of a pro as I'd like to be. I'm, I'm pretty darn good at Livewire. Mm-hmm. But like when the newest, hottest stuff comes out, I don't always stay on top of it because it's just been doing the job. And so to know that there's going to be examples of the idiomatic way to do this is really valuable to me. Like I love Tailwind UI in part because it's very helpful in part because I just make sure that I'm like doing things right. You know, like I'm like, oh, that's how they're doing Tailwind UI. Okay, great. That must be the right way to do it. You know, so I'm excited about having that from a Livewire perspective as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we are ramping up on the end of time. We got a whole bunch of personal questions. And so I'm just going to sprinkle one of them at the end of every single one. So this particular nice. one is, are, are Matt and Taylor, are you into sports? And if so, what are your teams? So I'm going to start with you. I am sort of into sports. I'm not a sports fanatic. Um, so personally, I grew up playing basketball primarily. Um, and that is a sport I sort of like the most. I don't have necessarily a team that I root for every year. I just sort of like keeping up with the sport in general. Um, so who's, who's doing good this year? Who's doing bad this year? Who's improving? You know, I just keep up with it. And most of that's honestly just by going to like the Reddit MBA subreddit Got and it. reading about what's happening even more than watching games. That's um, I am... Um, not uh, I do watch Arkansas football, but that is a very emotional roller coaster and abusive <laughs> relationship. I think um, got it. We're just sort of always a day late and a dollar short. You know, it feels like and we're never we can never quite just cross over the hump into greatness like a team like Alabama or um, Georgia or someone like that. Um, yeah. But anyways, you know, it's always, you know, next year, it's always next year, next year. <laughs> Our recruiting class is good. We'll be a little bit uh-huh. better. It's always, you know, over the horizon. We're going to get there. That's so funny. Do you still play any sports at all? Like casually? Not like uh, regularly. You know, I'll, I'll shoot basketball sometimes or um, or whatever, but not not regularly. Got it. Well, how long did you play basketball? Like what year? Were you, did you play in high school or? Yeah, since I was a kid yeah. and then into high school. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, de- I w- definitely wasn't good enough to play at the college level or anything, but yeah. you know, just something I enjoyed growing up. Okay. Nice. Well, I, um, so I grew up in outside of Ann Arbor. So I grew up in University of Michigan country and, um, the Tigers and the Lions. So that's our football and, um, 
baseball teams were not particularly good. I went, my aunt and uncle took me to a Lions or a Tigers game once and I was like, this is fun, but we were not big fans, but like U of M, everything of U of M was, you know, everything growing up. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then I got a free ride to the university of Florida and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to Florida. I don't know anything about them. I'll root for Michigan and Florida. Um, and then I got to Florida and I think my second year there, we played Ohio state, which was Michigan's like sworn rivals. I was like, great. Like my Florida people and my Michigan people will be aligned. And everybody from Michigan was like, no, we're going to root for Ohio state. Cause they're in our, you know, our in big 10. And I was like, how could you, you betrayed me. So, but it's funny because I don't watch sports games. Like I don't actually enjoy yeah. watching sports, like unless it's a social thing, like I'll hang out with my buddies mm-hmm. when they're watching sports because I like watching sports with them. Not because I would, I would never pick up a game like alone in the living room. I'm not sitting here watching ESPN. So basically like I have like a mild alignment with anywhere I've lived. So I've got university of Michigan, I've got university of Florida. Um, and I also have had the chance to live places where they've done really well. Like I lived at, um, in Gainesville when they had the, um, Tim Tebow era and all those kind of guys. So like they did like back-to-back national championships and basketball and football and kind of stuff. I was living there then. So it was fun to kind of get along with the hype. And then, I moved to Chicago and my business partner, Dan, was like, well, I mean, you live in the north side of Chicago, so you just got to be a Cubs fan. I was like, sure. I passed the, their field every single day on the way to and from work. And th- it was one of those like talk about abusive relationship. They hadn't won a national champ or whatever they call it. I forget in 108 <laughs> years. Or... Yeah. 108 years. And I was like, cool, I'll be a Cubs fan. And I like bought a Cubs jersey and celebrate Cubs. And then that year they won for the first time in 108 years. And <laughs> I will tell you, I was glued to my to my TV just because it was such a fun social <clears throat> moment to be a part of, you know, but yeah, I live I in like Georgia baseball. now. Yeah, I live in Georgia now. And they're like, oh, my God, you're a Gators fan. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> go Georgia, go Gators, go whatever. My son's super into soccer and he loves Atlanta United. So I was like, great. Now I'm a casual Atlanta United fan, just like I was a casual Gators fan, Michigan fan or whatever else. Um, So yeah. Mm -hmm. And in terms of playing sports, I played soccer for two years as a kid. I was six, two by the time I was in sixth grade. So I played a couple years of basketball just because I could rebound, but I wasn't any good at Mm -hmm. it. And that was about it. So don't do any sports now. Although I have been going to a few dance classes with my fiance trying to learn and they call it a sport. So I guess that's my that's my latest sport. She lived the dance instructor yesterday literally was like one thing about the sport of dance. And I was like, I've never heard anybody call it that before, but sounds good. Let's do yeah. it. So, yeah. yeah, no, that sounds reasonable. All right. Well, that nice. is it for today. We've got a lot of great questions for the next couple of weeks. So thank you, everybody who contributed on Twitter. Sorry, I didn't name each of you as I wrote off your questions, but we're really grateful that you shared them. And if you hear this and you have more questions for us, this particular um, season of the podcast, it's us just chatting about whatever, you know, pops into our brains. But there's been a lot of really great topics that have come from y'all's questions. So leave a comment on um, YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, send us a tweet or whatever else. We'd love to hear what else you're interested in us talking about. Um, and I guess that's it for now, Taylor. Anything else you want to cover before we're done? No, that's it. Okay. Well, thank you all so much for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time. See ya.